listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit www.jointheventure.com. We are in week three, the final week of this story about Esther, and I want to jump right in because I've been leaving cliffhangers uh, every week for the last two weeks, and this week we're actually going to finish the story. Um, just to give you some, some catch-up, if maybe this is your first time here or the first time catching part of this series, we've been in the book of Esther. It's in the Old Testament of the Bible, and maybe if you don't know much about the Bible or how it's divided up, it's, it's split into two major sections. Uh, the first, about two-thirds of it, is the Old Testament of the Bible, and this is uh, God's, God's original covenant, His original gr- agreement. The word testament kind of means covenant or agreement, and it's, and it's his, his original understanding with the Jewish nation, and He goes through, and the whole Old Testament is about those people and how they, uh, how they their, their, their family grew into a nation and how God revealed himself to the world through that nation. It's really awesome. Esther falls right in the mix of that. Because there's a point in the middle of their history where the Jewish nation is sent into, into exile. They actually are originally captured by a nation called the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians beat out the Assyrians, and then the Persians beat out the Babylonians. It's a big old you know, power struggle, and caught in the middle of it is the entire Jewish nation, and they're living in and around the area of Babylon, and that's where we find Esther. To finish the explanation of the Bible, that's the first two-thirds of the Bible is, is all that history, and the last third of the Bible is, uh, is about Jesus and the church and his early followers and Christianity and how all of that springs out of the seeds planted in, in, in Judaism. And so the Bible is a really cool and complete story of God's history with mankind. When we find Esther in her story, uh, let, me, let me give you kind of a picture of what we're doing here. When you look at the story of Esther, it is very dramatic. It's very cinematic. It's got great settings. They're in palaces, and they're having these elaborate banquets and parties, and there are these colorful characters who are involved. And so as we were thinking of the way to best present the story of Esther and teach the lessons there, uh, the idea was, what if we told the story like we were reading a screenplay for a movie about the life of Esther? The, movie, the, the movies have been made about the life of Esther. Some of them have been good. Some of them have been not so good. Uh, some of them star vegetables from VeggieTales. Um, but there are various stories of Esther that are told. Um, what if we made our own version? And so that's what we've been doing. So in making a movie, one of the first things you want to do is to begin casting the characters. So to catch you up, I want to kind of tell the story of In the Shadows and also kind of tell the story of the characters that we've been choosing and maybe if you watch one of those kind of uh, serial television shows, most of them start like this. Previously on In the Shadows. So here we go. Previously on In the Shadows. We began in week one with a king. His name is Xerxes. I've been calling him Jerxes because he is an absolute jerk. And we had to get somebody that had these dynamic acting qualities, and so we chose Samuel L. Jackson. So whenever I talk about King Jerxes, I want you to picture Samuel L. Jackson. That's him. Boom. All right? Now, some of the main characters uh, in the story kind of have played their way out, and, but we, we find him married to Queen Vashti, and through a series of events, uh, that marriage ends, and he is in need of a new queen. So his advisors decide we should have a beauty pageant throughout the entire Persian empire, find the most beautiful woman in the world, and she should be your next queen. Of course, Samuel L. Jackson says, I think that's a fantastic idea. And so uh, the eventual winner of this beauty pageant is uh, a girl named Esther. She's a Jew. She's an orphan. She lives with her cousin Mordecai, um, and she's really nobody. To, To choose the role of this person, we've got Anne Hathaway. 
So picture Anne Hathaway, maybe from Princess Diaries, not the Catwoman Anne Hathaway, but like Princess Diaries Anne Hathaway, you know what I'm saying? Because she's just like this innocent girl, and she gets cast into the role of the queen of Persia, and that's where she finds herself. Anne Hathaway has been raised by her cousin Mordecai, and we had to find somebody that was kind of gruff, but had the potential to be kind of compassionate, and one of my favorite actors is Tommy Lee Jones, and so we got Tommy Lee Jones playing the role of Mordecai, okay, and so this is our cast so far. Now, last week we introduced the great uh, foil to the whole deal. Any great story has got a villain, right? So you got to have the bad guy. And we looked far and wide and couldn't find a great actor to play the bad guy, this guy named Haman, until it, it hit me. It doesn't have to be a real person. It can be a cartoon. And who is more evil than Jafar? Check out Jafar. Look at this guy. He's evil. And so he's going to be in the role of Haman this, this week. And uh, this guy's basically this, this egotistical uh, jerk, but he's also very, very powerful. He's the second most powerful man in the empire. So with that comes a lot of responsibility, a lot of swag. And as second in command, he has made this rule, okay? It's been a law. He said, anytime I enter your presence as a Persian, if I'm coming walking down the hallway, if I'm walking down the sidewalk, if I'm walking down the street, you must kneel before me because I am Jafar. And so that's the rule, which sets up last week's conflict. Last week, uh, was it last week or was it this week? And we said that? I don't remember what I told you guys last week. Yeah. Yes, last week, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, says, I'm not going to bow down before that guy. There's no way. And I talked about some possible reasons why he didn't bow down, but he didn't bow down. So Jafar, or Haman, he says, listen, I will not have this. I will not have one of my subjects not bow down before me when I walk down the street. I'm going to have him killed. Then he finds out Mordecai's a Jew. Well, Haman is extremely racist towards the Jews. So then he says, oh, he's a Jew. This is great. Not only do I get a chance to kill Mordecai, who has disrespected me, I'm going to issue a decree that there will be this one national holiday throughout the entire Persian Empire. It's going to be National Kill a Jewish Person Day. And we are going to kill all the Jews. It's terrible. This terrible thing. And so it puts the Jewish nation in a frenzy. It, it puts Mordecai in a really awkward situation. He's like, sorry, guys. You know? And that's where we end up today. Mordecai goes to his cousin Esther, who, by the way, is the queen. But there's a twist. There's a problem there. Why is there a problem? She's the queen, but she's also a Jew. It's a little secret she kept from her hubby. She never told him that she was an Israelite. She never told Xerxes that she was a Jew. And so Mordecai goes to her last week, and he says, Esther, listen, you have got to stop this. you got to go to your husband. you got to tell him to call the whole thing off. Esther says, I, I can't just do that. The laws are pretty permanent here in Persia. When you make a law, it's a law. Plus, if I go and tell Xerxes to change the law, he's going to probably kill me because I've been lying to him this whole time. He doesn't know. If, if you recall from the first week, the reason that Esther was the queen is because the first queen kind of disobeyed him a little bit, right? So he's not a man to mess with. That's where we pick up this week. All right, you with us? Previously on In the Shadows. So this week, let's jump into the story and see what happens. So Esther has approached King Xerxes, and last week we found out that uh, he, he was pleased by her. So he says, come in. Come into my room. And so she comes in. In chapter 5, verse 3, he says, what is it, Esther? 
This is Samuel L. Jackson, by the way. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. It's interesting that Esther doesn't come right out here and go, Oh, I'm so glad you asked Xerxes. Half the kingdom? That sounds great, because here's what you need to do. Save me! Save me, save me, save me! And save the Jewish nation and save all my people, because there's this guy, you know Haman, Jafar? He's over there, and he's trying to make all these rules, and he's killing all the Jews, and please save me! The problem was, and this is what I, I, I think is probably the issue, Xerxes is standing in his royal room, and he's surrounded by guards and advisors. So what happens when Esther comes in and says, she just spills the beans, Haman's made this law to kill the Jews, by the way, I'm a Jew. What it does is it makes King Xerxes look stupid. Because his royal advisors and guards go, wait a second, you passed this law and your wife's a Jew? <laughs> like there's, there's two rules, my dad taught me this, there's two important rules for a man. Uh, rule number one is, uh, is don't pick on another man's football team, that's rule number one. Rule number two is never issue an edict that will possibly have your wife executed. That's number two. My dad always taught me that, and I've always lived by that. But nobody told Xerxes that. And Esther knows this. And so she says this, verse 4. If it please the king, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet that I will prepare. So she's got to be figuring, okay, this way there will only be three of us, me, Jafar, and Samuel L. Jackson. And we'll be hanging out, and then we can just talk. Now, this is like the sixth party that we see in the book of Esther. Do you remember the very first thing that happens in the party, in the, in the book? Like a six-month-long party. That's what Xerxes is doing. So Esther says, hey, I want you to come to a party. And Xerxes is like, cool, I'm there. I'll bring my toga. <laughs> He's always partying. Haman, on the other hand, is just like, sweet. I'm getting invited to a private party with the queen and the king. His day is looking pretty good. So she's got the king's attention, and later she has this banquet, okay? And so uh, chapter 5, verse 7, she says, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I'll prepare for them. And then I will answer the king's question. Wait a second. She's invited him to one party. He says, okay, I'll give you whatever you want. Whatever you, what, what is it, Esther? What is it? And he goes, this is what I want. If I can have anything, this is what I want. I want you to come to another party with me tomorrow. Can you do that? Xerxes, Haman, yeah, party. I'll be there. Now, we're not really sure why Esther de delays again. Uh, I get the feeling, uh, you ever have this, this intuition, this feeling that right now is just not the time. Maybe she needed to tell him about the, the rule that Haman had made and the fact that she's a Jew and the please save my nation. Maybe she knew that was on the tip of her tongue, but she just had this feeling that it just wasn't quite the time. And I think that her intuition was correct. Because check out what happens next. So they have this party, and, and Haman and the king, they come out of the party, and man, Haman, he leaves the party. He, he's, in the, he's in the top of the world, man. If, if this were a musical instead of just like an action movie, he'd be like, Let's go fly a kite up to the highest height. Like, he's happy. Like, this is a good day. That's a Mary Poppins song, by the way. You need to get out more. You need to rent movies, okay? This is, this is Haman's attitude. He's excited. He's excited because, man, my day is getting good. Got invited to a party with Queen Esther and King Xerxes. Going to another party tomorrow. Second most powerful man in the entire Persian empire. Let's go fly a kite. In chapter 5, verse 9, says this. The, the situation begins to change. It says, Haman went out that happy day and happy and high spirits. 
When he saw Mordecai, Tommy Lee Jones, at the king's gate, he observed that Mordecai neither rose nor showed fear in his presence. And he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Now, this is an interesting turn of events. We're going to kind of go through here and look at what happens with Mordecai. But I love Mordecai because Mordecai, apparently that was his thing. He, like, sits by the gate. Like, when you ever you see Mordecai, he's just sitting by the gate. Where's Mordecai? I don't know. If you look at the gate, that's where he goes. So Haman comes out of the, the, the gate again. Mordecai is the guy who wouldn't bow down before, right? So they issue this edict to have this huge execution day for the Jewish nation. Haman comes out of the palace again. Mordecai sitting in the same spot does not bow down. you got to love the stubbornness of this guy. He's like, no, man, you already issued a decree against my people. I'm definitely not bowing down now. Like, if I'm going to die anyway, I'm going to die on my feet. I'm going to die proud of who I am and my nationality and all that. It's not good enough for Haman that there's already this decree out to kill all the Jews. When he sees Mordecai, it takes his high spirits day where he's wanting to fly a kite, and it totally turns us on his ear. And he is enraged. So, it says in verse 12, uh, it says, and that's not all. Haman added, he's talking to somebody, he's talking to his wife. He says, I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she's invited me along with the king tomorrow. I'm important. I'm important, I'm important, I'm important. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai. And he's sitting there at the king's gate. Do you see this brat attitude that Haman has? And so he's sitting there, and he has the world at his fingertips, but because this one guy won't bow down to him, there's a piece of the kingdom that's not his yet. He's not going to rest. So in verse 14, his wife, Zeresh, and all of his friends said to him, you should have a gallows built 75 feet high and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go with the king to the dinner. And be happy. The end of verse 14 is almost funny. It says, the suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the gallows built. Money, fame, power, that wasn't enough for Haman. Remember last week we learned he was egotistical, and he was a racist, and nothing was going to be okay until he was sitting on top of the world. To build a 75-foot high, you know what a gallows is? I mean, we're not like in the Wild West times. You probably haven't been to a public hanging. Um, Gallows is these big, the cross beam, and, and you hang people on them. Like, you drop the floor out, and, and it strangles them to death. It's, it's, it's a terrible way to go, and it was a form of public execution. But to build one 75 feet tall, this roof is not 75 feet tall. 75 feet tall is tall. The name Mordecai means, you ready for this? Little. That's just what his name means. I don't know if he's a little guy, but historically people have assumed that. That might have been like a nickname or something. I don't know. But to build a 75-foot tall gallows, to hang a 5-foot tall man is unnecessary. Right? Somebody's got something to prove here. What he wants to do is make a statement. Nobody messes with Jafar. I mean Haman. Nobody. He's going to make this 75-foot tall gallows, and he starts to build it. Now, at this point, everything seems to be going great for Haman. Now, he's the king's man. He's the queen's friend. He gets to build this 75-foot gallows. He's going to kill Mordecai. He's going to be killed a Jew day. It's awesome. But then, chapter 6 and 7 could probably be retitled. It could probably be called Haman's Bad Day. 
because everything starts to fall apart. This is where it gets really good. Uh, Haman's bad day actually begins the night before. So there's the dinner party. Mordecai doesn't bow down. His wife and his friends advise him to build a 75-foot-tall gallows. They build the 75-foot-tall gallows. And that night, King Xerxes is laying in his bed. And I just imagine he's tossing and he's turning. And he's like, I just can't sleep. And what do you do when you can't sleep? You, You might count sheep. You might sit up and read a book or watch TV. Well, he's the king. And so he goes... Can somebody read me a story? That's what he does. He literally, he calls to one of his attendants. He's like, can somebody please read me a story? And when you're an adult, you read yourself a story, unless you're the king of Persia. And then someone comes and reads you a story. And when you're a kid, you might ask for the cat in the hat or little red riding hood or the three billy goats gruff or some kind of fairy tale. This is funny. This is what he says. King Xerxes says, someone come read to me about me. He's the king, and so he's got these annals of his life and his, and his kingdom and, and all these things about the things he's done, and they're written down in books. And so how, how better to go to sleep than to if people read stories about you? This was the day you were really awesome, followed by the day you were really awesome. And there was a day you weren't so awesome, but you had that guy's head cut off, so we tore that page out. And the next story is about the day you were really awesome, so that's you're the king. So they're reading the story, it just so happens. That that night, as the king is having the story of his life read to him, it gets to a story about the attempted assassination of King Xerxes. And King Xerxes perps up. Oh, oh I forgot about that one. That's scary. That's, that's dramatic. Read me the story of my attempted assassination. And so he starts to read the story of the attempted assassination. And, and it says that, you know, in, as, as the attendant is reading him the story, it says there was an attempt on your assassination. But one of our loyal citizens... He thwarted the whole thing. He overheard some of the bad guys talking about the assassination. And King says, oh, who was that? Who was that to stop the assassination? And he goes, uh, I don't know, some nobody, some guy. Uh, his name's uh, Mordecai. Some guy sits by the gate. Mordecai, you know Mordecai? He's like, oh, Mordecai. Yeah, I kind of remember him. Hey, listen, uh, attendant, uh, take, take a look and see. What did we do to honor that man? The man that, 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 that stopped the assassination attempt on the king. What did we do to honor that man? The attendant goes, uh, honestly, king, I don't think we did anything to honor him. I think he just, he just kind of, there's nothing about what it, the king goes, well, man, he saved my life. I'm the emperor of Persia. We should really do something for that guy. Man, think about that. Think about what, and so he goes to bed. He falls asleep. The next morning when he wakes up, he's got one thought on his mind. He's thinking, I've got to honor Mordecai. Man, what do I want to do? He's thinking, he's spinning, he's spinning, he's spinning. What's going on? Meanwhile, Haman has woken up. He's like, (whistles) knocks on the king's door. Oh, good morning, king. Hi, I'm here a little early for our lunch date tonight. I just wanted to say, hey, I'm I'm your guy, right? And he's like, yeah, 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 come on in, come in. And he is walking in, and the story says that he was going in to ask King Xerxes, if he could hang Mordecai in his backyard. You see the conflict? It's not going to work out. But before he starts to talk, Xerxes says, oh, good to see you, Haman. Listen, I need to ask you a question. I need to ask you a question. Um, Verse 6 of chapter 6, it says, when Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done to honor the man the king delights to honor? What should we do for a guy? And Haman's like, oh, well, king, I mean, who else could he want to honor but me, right? So he begins to think. Haman believes that the king is writing him a blank check right now. Anything you want, man. I want to honor you. What should I do to honor the man the king delights to honor? And Haman thought to himself, well, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? This is my golden opportunity. 
So he thinks about it. He's trying to act all humble. I imagine he's looking at the ground. He's maybe drawing circles with his toes. <laughs> well, I don't know. And this is what he says. I, I think maybe you should let him put on the king's robe, maybe. Wear the king's robe. That'd be cool. And, and maybe he could ride on the king's horse. And I don't know. Put on the king's crown. Oh, and since he's on the horse, you should get one of the king's royal officials to pull him around the town and yell, this is what happens to a man that the king honors. I'm, that's just me. That's what I would do if I wanted to honor somebody. But you do what you want, king. King Xerxes says, well, all right. That, now, now you're talking. That's a great idea. And so you imagine Haman starting to bubble up and say, yes, I've always wanted to wear that robe. It looks so comfy. And so the king goes, listen. I want you to do that for a man that I want to honor. And King Haman is about to have his acceptance speech. Well, King and King says, do you know Mordecai, the guy that sits down by the gate? Go do all that for him. Huh? <laughs> Mordecai, the Jew guy, right? Okay. And the color drains out of his face, then he walks away. And I wish I could have seen it. It happened. It was real life. Mordecai is down at the gate. Haman has just flipped out on him, remember? Oh, you're bad on me. I'm going to bid a gallows and hang you, you little man. Ha! Uh, uh, Mordecai, hey. Uh, it's, it's, I'm Haman. Good to meet you. Oh, I know who you are, Haman. Uh, yeah. Um, King, uh, King, wants to, King wants to see you. Just takes him in and fits him with the robe and puts on the crown and helps the little man up onto the horse. And as he's walking through the town with him, Guess who gets chosen to be the royal official who sings the praises of Mordecai? Jafar. This is what happens to a man the king wants to honor. Uh, Haman, I, I can't hear you up here. This, this horse is really tall. <laughs> this is what happens to a man. That, excuse me, louder. This is what happens. That's right. It was Haman's bad day. Bud gets worse. Because then, you remember there was a party that Esther had invited Haman to attend with the king. Well, the, the, uh, the party comes after the parade. Haman's like, well, at least the day's not a total waste. So he helps Mordecai off the horse. <laughs> and he goes to the party. And he's like, okay. <sighs> Supper with the queen. And I want you to picture this beautiful veranda. It's, got, it's a patio. It's, I mean, maybe there's like the, the, the king's drinking a goblet of Egyptian wine. And, and, and there's like grapes and cheese and olives. And, and there's attendants like fanning them and stuff like that. Like this is the scene. And they walk in. And Haman's like, oh, finally. Oh, king, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the humiliation I just went through. And he sits down. And then in seven, chapter 7, verse 2, this is how it goes. It says, as they were drinking on the wine on that second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom. It'll be guaranteed. It'll be granted. Queen Esther, Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. You can imagine Xerxes going, Huh? Of course, sure. You can keep living. That'd be all right with me. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we'd been merely sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Right now, Haman is like sweating and kind of squirming in his seat like, oh, man. This day couldn't get any worse, and here it goes, and he sees where this is going. And King Xerxes looks back at Esther and says, who is he? 
Who is the man who would dare do such a thing to my queen? And Esther said, well, the adversary, an enemy is the file Haman. Oops. And the jig is up. And Haman is busted. And now there's nowhere he can run because he is sitting in private company with Esther and King Xerxes. And the passage says, then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. The next verse tells us that the king got up and in rage and he went to the palace garden because he kind of had to cool off a little bit. And he's just like, oh, what should I do? How could I deal with this man who deals with me? Meanwhile, back in the, in the palace, Haman is going to go and get on his knees before Esther. Like, Esther, Esther, please, 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 please. I promise I'll do anything. I'll do anything if you'll talk to your husband about this whole, this whole mix-up. I, I, I didn't realize that you were Jew. I'm sorry. Ah, and he's freaking out. And while he does it, he kind of like falls on her to like really, I don't know, make his point or whatever. And, and it kind of looks like he's taking advantage of her and like molesting her. And right about that time, who walks in the room? King Xerxes. He's been cooling off at the garden. He's probably maybe about to say, all right, Haman, let me hear your side of the story. He walks in. The man's laying on top of his wife. At this point, the, Haman has been around long enough to know it's not a question of whether or not I will die. It's a question of how exactly will I die? He's in a rage. Just then it says in verse 8, I'll tell the story from the Bible. Just then the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet. Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? Haman is toast. And then it's funny because the king is like, what should I do? What should I do? And there's this attendant in the room. And he's like, I imagine him holding a great big leaf. He's like fanning somebody because they just fan people. I don't know. He's like, hey, king, I got an idea. What is it? Uh, well, Haman had just built this 75-foot gallows in his backyard. Nobody's using it now. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens to the gallows. It's Haman's bad day. So the Jews get together, and here's the deal. It would have been a really good ending to a story if Xerxes had gone, all right, I made a rule about how the Jews could be executed, but I made a mistake. So don't do that. The problem is the Persian Empire was very, very efficient with their laws. And once you made a law, it was very, very difficult to change it. And so in this scenario, there were a lot of Persians who were actually pretty excited about the day of pure. That's what they called this day, the day of pure. They were excited about it. In fact, there were still a lot of Persians who were still pretty racist against the Jews. And they were excited about it. So for the king to just issue a, a uh, just kidding edict, it doesn't go. It doesn't work. So he sits with Esther and they talk about it and this is what happens. Instead, he gives the Jews a new law. And the Jew is this, the, the, the law is this, that the Jews on this day, not only will the rest of the empire be allowed to attack the Jews, which is a really weird law, like that would never pass in this day and age in our country. Never, ever, ever. But it was a law. But he gives them legal permission and protection to defend themselves. So when that law goes out, the Jews get together and they form little bands and they form little armies. And they fight back. And when you look at the historical records of what happens, it's actually not that bad. Because most of the Persians who were really angry and were excited about the day of pure. They got out there, and all the Jews had their, you know, machetes and sickles and sticks and stuff. They were like, 
you know, this isn't as much fun as I thought it would be. And they go back home. Now, that starts to wrap out the story. And that's kind of where we are. There's the great conclusion. The bad guy gets, you know, his just dessert. The good guys kind of get free. Chapter 8, verse 16 says, For the Jews, this time was a time of happiness and joy, gladness, and honor. There was feasting and there was celebration because these people were terrified for their life, yet they were then made free. In, in our movie, I'm picturing the end of, uh, you ever seen Star Wars, The Phantom Menace? It's like the first of the second series of Star Wars movies that came out. And at the end, there's this great, there's this great pomp and circumstance, this great fanfare, because all of our heroes have been through this great civil war and this great struggle with the bad guys, and they all came out on top. And at the end, there's this, this, this great ceremony where all the heroes get to stand on stage and, and, and C-3PO gets a bath and stuff like that, and they get these medals. And this is what I picture, because at the end, it's, this is what happens. It says, uh, after the celebration in chapter 10, verse 3, it says, Mordecai, the Jew was made second in rank to King Xerxes. How about that? He was preeminent among the Jews, and he held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people, and he spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. The book of Esther begins with Esther and Mordecai as nobodies. But by the end, one is a queen, and the second one is the second most powerful in the entire nation. By the way, the most powerful empire in the world. And what I want you to hear today is that is just like God. He specializes in turning defeat into victory. You know, there was a day nearly 2,000 years ago, about 2,000 years after the story of Esther, where it looks that way. If you don't know the story of Jesus, let me give it to you in a nutshell. See, Jesus is God when he puts on skin. When he becomes human, that's who Jesus is. So Jesus is God, call him the son of God, call him the son of man. That's, there's lots of titles for him in the Bible, but that's who he is. And he spends his life on earth building a ministry and telling people about the new way that God is going to love people and how the world is going to be changed by them. And it seems like this awesome, awesome thing, but then all of a sudden, he's arrested and he's put on trial and he's wrongfully accused and he's crucified, he's executed. And in those moments was devastation. One of the biggest uh, proofs for me that Jesus' story is real was that there were these, there were these group of men, there were, there, were, there, were, there were 12 of them originally that were sold out for Jesus. They were willing to give their life for Jesus. But then their families and their friends, there were hundreds if not thousands of people who were following Jesus. And at some point, tens of thousands of people who were listening to Jesus teach. And they were going along. But then when Jesus is executed, many of them, in fact, all of them, in fact, the strongest and most core followers of Jesus, Peter and John and James and some of these guys, they were terrified. They felt like the Jews in the day of Purim. They said, what are we going to do? Or the day of Purim, what are we going to do? So when Jesus is crucified, you know what they do? The Bible says they run and hide. Some people say that Christianity is not a reliable religion because it was made up by people. I'm going to tell you what, these guys at this point, we're not interested in causing any trouble. They were not interested in raising a big stir about Jesus is the Son of God and we believe in him because Jesus has been crucified. The story of Esther, we've called it in the shadows because sometimes the question is, where is God in all this mess? I think the answer is, God is sometimes, many times, most of the time, working behind the scenes and in the shadows 
orchestrating events and circumstances to take care of his own. Do you think it was a coincidence that Esther just happened to be entered into this beauty contest? Do you think it was a coincidence that Mordecai just happened to be the guy that sat by the gate all the time? Do you think it was a coincidence that Haman just happened to be in this one day an outrage to Mordecai? Do you think it just happened that uh, the king just couldn't sleep one night and they just happened to pick up a book off the counter that talked about Mordecai? Coincidence, 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 coincidence. Guys, I want to teach you a new word. I don't even know if it is a real word. I don't think it is. I want to get rid of the word coincidence in some of these situations, and I want to talk about God incidents. God pulls the things together for his good and for the people of those who love him. And out of defeat, he brings victory. And so you've got Jesus' followers, and they have split. They are hiding. They do not want to be seen. Yet circumstances have been coming together. God has been at work all along, just as he did with Esther. All along. Three days later, he rises from the dead. He comes out and he greets his followers. And over 500 individuals saw him. It's listed in the Bible, the people that saw him. In fact, some of the people who uh, were cynics in the early church, they would simply go and interview some of those 500 people. And be like, is it true? Did you see Jesus die and then be alive? Really? Wow. I said this is one of the biggest proofs that Jesus is who he says he was because these people were terrified. They were not interested in causing any trouble. But then once they saw him rise from the dead, they said, oh, I'm in. I am so in. I am so in, Jesus. I will follow you anywhere. I will do anything you say. You might be in the shadows of your life right now, the scary places, but I want you to know God is not absent He is working. He is orchestrating. He is pulling the pieces together for you. Sometimes we face situations where he shows us exactly where we can step up and answer and walk through a door. And sometimes we shut the door back. We're like, I don't think that's where I need to go. A lot of times he gives us more than one chance, dozens of chances. We've got to have our eyes open to it. I've been saying something about in the shadows throughout this series, and I want to make it very clear as I close out today. God works in the shadows to look out for his own And everyone has the opportunity to be one of God's own, to be adopted by him as a son or a daughter. It was in one of the songs that we just sang today. He makes the orphans into sons and daughters. But it's only for those who choose to be in the family. And so this might be your very first time at church. It might be your first time in church in a long time. I don't know. And you might be sitting here going, well, that was a pretty cool story. I've watched that movie. But now you're talking about Jesus. I don't think I understand or I don't believe that, or I've had a bad experience. This is all that I I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you just to to stick it out, to to come back just a few more weeks. Just come here. We're talking next next week uh, about a story from the New Testament of the Bible that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. It's, It's perfect for all of us. It relates to everybody. Come back and hear that and hear more about Jesus and what he does. And if that's you, that's awesome. I want you to be right there in that place in your life and stay in that place and let God work in you behind the scenes and in the shadows of your life. But maybe, maybe you're at a place now, you're like, I've been doing church for a while now, and I just need to make a decision. And I don't know if I see God working behind the scenes and in the shadows of my life. And I'd say, God works behind the scenes and in the shadows for those people who choose to honor him. Will you choose today to honor him with your life? Every week we have this time of reflection and communion, and I'll explain that in just a second. But maybe during that time, maybe you just want to walk up here and talk to me or one of the people in the band, or you can grab one of the volunteers in the back and say, you know what, I'm, I need to kind of become a Christian. What does that look like? We don't make you walk forward here at Venture Church. That's just, uh, you can do that somewhere else. That'd be awesome. But we don't want to 
make you be uncomfortable in the spotlight to make the hardest decision of your life, a big decision of your life. I want you to be able to walk back to someone, talk to someone. Let's start a conversation. And man, if you're ready, we can, we can baptize you today. Olympic-sized baptistry at the YFCA. <laughs> maybe you need to think about it for a few weeks. That's okay. But become one of his own. Let him adopt you. Let him love you. He'll be working in the shadows of your life, behind the scenes. If you've already chosen to live for Jesus, I just want to remind you, he's not absent. He's there. And it might be a hard week. It might be a hard month. You might be like, this has been a hard couple decades. I'm kind of over this. God's time is not like our time. But he is always on time. He'll show up right when you need him at the best time. And you might think, I don't think he did it for me. I needed him to show up the other day, and he didn't. Hang around. Because who knows that in a couple of weeks you might be like, oh, man, that, no, I needed to go through that. I've enjoyed telling the story of Esther with you this morning. A lot of times I have like a really scripted out, planned ending. But what I want to do today is just say, you know what, um, this isn't the end for Esther's story. In fact, God's story is always a to be continued. And it happens with every new life that you touch this week. And so I want to encourage you guys to go out and invite your friends to church, but even more than that, invite them into your life. Love them. Love your neighbors. Love your friends. Show them what Jesus is all about. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we love you. We praise you for being who you are, and we thank you for the story of Esther and and what it has meant to our community as we've learned about you. God, thank you for uh, those who might be here with us for the first time this morning, that they just experienced maybe you in in a different way. Uh, or maybe the same way they've seen before, but just I pray that it can be something that can work on their lives and, and help them out. And Lord, thank you most of all for Jesus. It's through him that we have the, the victory of defeat. We thank you so much for Jesus, and we pray all in his name. Amen.